You're listening to Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan, a For the Now media production. Okay, no singing, I promise. As we bring you episode 109 of your very big favourite sports podcast, Null and Void. And, you know, to get the week off in the right way, we're now headlong, having had a week off uh, a short while ago, headlong back into masses of the very best sports stories. We go through your contacts, and actually there's a trend there. Now you're quite happy to correct us on just about everything as you set increasingly high standards for your podcast. We don't mind. Bring it on. If we get angry enough, we'll have a moan in a get a grip. Our guest slot was to have been an Aussie mate of mine to come on to bang the drum of the Australian cricket team. But that wasn't possible for whatever reasons. I'm sure that had nothing to do with England winning at Henley. My name is Tony Grundy. And mine's Andy Callahan. Well, uh, just in terms of my weekend, started Friday and I took Sue and her cousin Brenda to Deepest Oxfordshire to visit Aston Pottery Centre and then Bampton Plant Centre, both recommended by your mum. So following her instructions, the detail correct. Both places were really good and we came back with a boot full of plants. So all the rest of the weekend, I avidly watched the test match and also some superb tennis. How about you? Um, Yeah, it was uh, dominated by uh, cricket on Saturday and Sunday. I was at Lords for the Washes T20 game, so the latest in the multi-format series. Brilliant event, even though the rain affected it in terms of uh, the overs, and I still can't tell you how they work out the Duckworth-Lewis score at the end that the team are chasing. I'm sure it'll take a greater brain than I to work that out, but work it out, they did. Um, Sunday was then working on the house, um, watching the test, and also watching the semi-finals of the um, hurling in the All-Ireland Championships. Ah, I didn't know you were going to say that. Right, okay. <laughs> now, um, we have, I've got cricket down. I think we both agree cricket had to be first for our sports topics, didn't it? Um, on the men's side, superb match at Henley, uh, Headingley, <laughs> Headingley uh, truly exciting finish. Very important win for England, being already 2-0 down in the series before this game. And after a week's break, they move on to Old Trafford. So a, a good performance with true, uh, true, two really good teams. The bowling of Mark Woods for England, I thought, was superb. And the mature batting of Yorkshireman Harry Brook in the final overs before we won. I know he was out just before the end, but I thought that was a really important bridge to take us to the victory we clearly need. And it'll boost the confidence of the England players without doubt. They know they can do it now. What What were your thoughts? Very much the same. I think, uh, you know, um, get your money now on Ben Folks hitting the winning run at Headingley in four years' time because, well, he won't be because they're, they're not having an Ashes test in four years' time. But uh, I think it would have been quite nice. 2019 was uh, Stokes. 2023, the winning four was hit by Wokes. So 2027, will it be hit by folks? But uh, I thought 
Wood came in and bowled brilliantly. He was he made a big difference. That pace, you know, up over ninety miles an hour regularly. I think you know the Aussie batters struggled with that. Um, it was a point of difference. It maybe Mitchell Stark has given the Australian attack at had given the Australian attack at Lords. I think Mark Wood came in and did something similar for England at Headingley. I think Chris Wokes always seen as one of the nicest guys in cricket. I think he came in and bowled and batted brilliantly. Mm. I think you know those the two of those changed the game not just with their bowling, but with their batting as well. Mark Wood on the first innings, you know, he, he he loved it. He lo- and second innings, he loves his batting. He just goes out there, see ball, hit ball. It's um, a very very simple but very uh, good approach. I think yeah. um, having seen Mark Wood and heard interviews with him, I don't think he'd want to overload his brain with too much in the way of batting content and thought. So see ball, hit ball is about probably all he can cope with being a Geordie. But um, yeah, lo- love his approach, and he, he he just plays the game with a with a big grin all the time. Harry Brook, as you say, came in and really excellent performance by the youngster. What third fastest Englishman ever to hit a thousand runs in Test matches? Yeah, um, great great performance there. I think the only blot on the landscape for me was old Droppy Bearstow. Um, the guy couldn't catch a cold at the moment. Um, and even the catch that was taken by Harry Brook, that for me was indicative on Saturday evening. Johnny Bairstow, having kept wicket myself, left a catch that was the keepers all day long and twice on a Sunday. And he left the responsibility to someone else. He almost bottled it and said to Harry Brook, you take that. So for me, that's someone who I think they've announced the squad today. It's an unchanged squad for Old yeah. Trafford next week. I think that is a man who is very lucky, and I think he's not just drinking in Last Chance Saloon, but he's had last orders called in Last Chance Saloon, and he he owes the team a big performance at Old Trafford. Yeah. As you say, though, he's he's still there, and they picked the squads, same squad. Yeah. Okay. Uh, And obviously on the Washes side, you and Billy were on the road again. Yeah, yeah, as uh, Willie, Willie Nelson has said, as we referred to last week. Um, so we were at Lords for the third and final T20 um, match in the series. They've had the Test match. Aussies won that. They had the T20 series. Aussies were 1-0 up. And through last week, England won the second Test to level the uh, second match to level the series um, in a cracker at the Oval. And then on Saturday night, in a brilliant atmosphere, England won by five wickets. It went right down to the last over, though, because of rain and Duckworth Lewis. So it keeps the washes alive. Australia are six, four up with three games to play. So there's another six points on the table. Um, it's the first, though, that T20 is the first series defeat within the overall washes. That was a mini series for Australia since 2017. So first series defeat in white ball cricket for them for seven years, six years, sorry. And also it was a record crowd for a non-World Cup game of women's cricket in England. So 21,610. So that leads us nicely into the three one-day internationals this week at Bristol, at Southampton and at Taunton. All three of those are sellouts of which two tickets Thee and me are at Southampton at the Aegeus on Sunday to hopefully see 
England win the series there. But they've got to they've pretty much got to win all three or two wins and a tie or a draw to win the win back the urn. The Aussies need eight points, but because they're the holders, England need nine. And there's six points on the table. Look forward to it on uh, Sunday. It, it'll be good stuff, I'm sure. And plenty to report back for Null and Void next week. Also, plenty talking about plenty to report. For once, we've got some great news on the football front in a European final. The under-21s, amazingly, won in the final, beating Spain 1-0. It's the first trophy for 39 years for the men. And they did it without conceding a single goal in the tournament. And the drama really flowed because in the sixth minute of, out, of injury time, winning 1-0, when Spain were awarded a penalty, I think it was, to be fair, upstepped goalkeeper James Trafford, the Manchester City player. He made a great save from the first penalty taker and then made a second superb save from the follow-up. England's goal was scored by Curtis Jones from Liverpool. Um, and England, to me, anyway, to my mind, of the game that I saw, were in control for most of it. They looked a good team. They got enough players of real ability and experience to do it. And they did. I don't think Spain were too pleased, but why would they be? But congratulations <laughs> to England and to especially to manager Lee Carsley. Interestingly, he's rumoured to be deciding whether or not to carry on as his role as manager. I don't oh. know whether that's quitting while you're ahead or I don't know. I didn't read any more about it other than he was looking at that. He's certainly in control of that situation, I would suggest. I would imagine with that success, he's going to be in demand either, you know, at other roles in the FA or by clubs um, looking for a manager who can win win trophies. Yeah. Anyway, he's done a great job and congratulations to uh, all the team there. Uh, F1 at Silverstone, we're usual short sentence to follow, except a slight adaption. Yeah, so British Grand Prix at Silverstone. And guess what? Verstappen won. Um, so that's now 11 wins in a row for Red Bull and six in a row for Verstappen. It goes right back to Abu Dhabi last year. But we had a second and third place podium uh, for two Brits. So Lando Norris was in second, which is his first ever home podium. And then Lewis Hamilton came third. So mm. two Brits on the podium at Silverstone, but second and third because, as ever, Verstappen won. I think we could just leave that every week, put that in now. I think the way he's going at the moment, six in a row, It'll be a long time before we have to say any, anyone else, I think. I think you're right. OK, uh, next up, tennis. There have been su some superb matches already uh, in this uh, first week. And as we move to the quarterfinals for the men and women, um, having said that, it ought to be noted, no British singles player, male or female, made it beyond the third round. Disappointing mm -hmm. for everybody particularly Cameron Norrie and people like that who did so well last year, but absolutely none. Uh, slightly different in the doubles and so on, but on the singles side, very disappointing. Uh, I watched uh, a lot of the games 
Alcaraz and Berrettini uh, yesterday got my vote as one of the best in terms of a real battle. Um, perhaps not the greatest tennis match out, but a real, a real grinding battle. And I thought they did very well. Um, and Alcaraz came through. Mm-hmm. Uh, Holger Ruhn uh, became the first Dutchman to reach uh, the quarterfinals since 1958, the first Dutchman to do that. So congratulations to him. Mind you, he plays Alcaraz in the quarterfinals tomorrow as we talk here on a Tuesday. So some exciting games today um, with Igor Svitek uh, beaten by uh, the uh, Ukrainian, Elena Svitolina. Can I say that? Svitolina. Svitolina. Yeah, nearly got there. Um, and that was, you know, the, the emotion around the Ukrainian there. I mean, it's, it's understandable. I don't think it was a bias against Iga, um, but uh, it was a deserved win. Uh, she really did extremely well. So that's fantastic. Um, yeah, and, and obviously it's going on literally as we're recording tonight. We know Yannick Sinner is through uh, at the moment. Djokovic is playing Rublev, and the last thing we know is that Djokovic is 2-1 up in sets. I mean, that's how much we've got our finger on the pulse, listeners, that we are bringing you scores as they're happening from Wimbledon. <laughs> so Djokovic, <laughs> two sets to one up and one game all in the fourth set. Yeah, OK. We'll update that if we can before the end. So, yeah, uh, another surprise was Pegula, Jessica Pegula, uh, out and again, you know, from now on in, they're exciting games anyway, but the talent that's lined up for this, beginning to line up for the semis is absolutely so exciting. Um, Holger Rune, as I say, will play Algras tomorrow. I did have one that made me chuckle in the Medvedev-Leheka um, game in the, uh, I mean, it was the round of 16. Um and Leheka had to retire with blisters on his feet. And uh, one of the groups I'm uh, on social media on about all the ones that those people that have done the 100 kilometre walks with me, Isle of Wight, London to Brighton, um, Thames Path that we've all talked about, they were looking at it and it made me chuckle when they were going, he's retired because of blisters. And then they all started putting up photographs of some horrendous, like foot wide or whole foot blisters from their events where they still completed the 100k walks with horrendous blisters and uh yeah there he was um pulling out with a small blister on the uh gap between his little toe and the toe next to it um and someone made me laugh and said um you know uh well that's as a tennis player that's his job so in essence he's not turning up to his job because of a blister and I thought what my boss would say to me if I'd phoned in this morning and said, sorry, boss, not coming in because I've got a blister. I can imagine a reaction. I think the second word would have been off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just as we close on tennis, just to say that one character that's attracted my attention is Chris Eubanks, the American. And he's a real talent. And he plays uh, Medvedev next tomorrow. But the reason I mention him is because it's an unusual background. He was an, a tennis commentator on a tennis channel previously. Obviously, a talented 
tennis player, but he decided, no, I'm going to I'm going to get into the profession properly. And my goodness, has he got talent? And he's so laid back. He, he smiles a lot, which a lot of them don't. Uh, and he's got real talent. So just a note from my point of view, he's been one of the brighter aspects of new talent that I've seen coming through. And we must emphasise for our listeners that he's no relation of Chris Eubank, the boxer who used to be around in the 80s going, I am a pugilist and not a boxer. So, uh, yeah, he's not that Chris Eubank. (laughs) Not that one, but a very good tennis player, I can assure you. I got uh, golf next, and the reason particularly saying that is this week, uh, coming Sunday, sees July the 16th through to uh, Sunday, 23rd of July, uh, the British Open. The venue is Royal Liverpool, and we'll be bringing all the drama next week. Null and Void's ace golf professional, Andy Weil, will be here to give you a real insight into this massive tournament. Can't wait for that. Okay, nor can I wait for you to tell us about Rugby Union. Yeah, there's been a lot happening. So um, I think firstly, talk about the Scotland um, and Exeter fullback. And up to recently, Scotland captain Stuart Hogg has announced his retirement with immediate effect. He was going to retire um, after the World Cup in September, October. But at just 31, he's had to call time early. And he was saying in the press release, "Um, I fought with everything I had to make the World Cup. But this time, my body has not been able to do the things I wanted and needed it to do. So he has struggled over the last year with injuries. And it just shows you how attritional the game has become, that at 31, he's having to call time and miss out on what I think would have been his fourth World Cup. He's won 100 caps for Scotland. He's captained Scotland for the last couple of years, um, as well as gone on three Lions tours. And he won the Celtic League with Glasgow and the Premiership and the European Champions Cup with Exeter. So very much um, someone who's absolutely reached the pinnacle of the game at club level um, and then represented Scotland fantastically at international level. But unfortunately, misses out on this World Cup and a a real shame for him to have to call time before that final um, foray in France. But talking of final forays, Ireland have made the World Under-20 Championships final in South Africa for this Friday, where they'll, um, they topped the group and then beat the hosts 31-12 in the semi-final. And they'll play France on Friday evening after the French beat England by comprehend, beat them comprehensively, coming back from 24-14 down at halftime to actually finally win 52-31. So a huge win for the French there. So Ireland against France in the final. I think France probably just start as favourites, but that's a good Ireland team. They beat beaten England, uh, sorry, beaten um, South Africa, beaten uh, a number of good teams to get to the final. I think this could be an absolute humdinger on Friday. Friday, is it? Okay, right. Okay, uh, rugby league. Yeah, Wakefield are on a roll. After not <laughs> winning in their first 13 games of the season, last weekend we, we last week we talked about only their second win of the season. 
Well, they've backed it up with a third win where they beat Wigan uh, with a solitary golden point win um, to score. I think it was 16-15 was the final score at um, Wigan. So, yeah, Wakefield, who knows? Is this the turnaround and the comeback of all comebacks? So, uh, maybe let's not get carried away. But Lee continued their run and moved into second place with a 34-16 win away at Castleford. And this closed the gap at the top of the table to just two points behind the leaders, Catalans, who suffered their first defeat since April, going down 24-14 at home to Huddersfield. And then in the whole derby, Hull FC... Um, one against Hull Kingston Rovers, 16-6. So they took bragging rights in the city of Hull for this round. Okay. Uh, I've got athletics next. And the headline news was not the British Championships in Manchester, which we will obviously talk about, but your 17th successive rejection by the London Marathon Committee. And that surely is some sort of record. Um, I put it into social media and one other person came back with, um, they're also on 17 and a couple came back with 16, but I think it's got to be up there. I haven't heard anyone say they've had more consecutive rejections than 17. And a lot of people I know have actually got in first time this year, first time of application. So I'm starting to take it a bit personally and wonder if it's a, if it's something that the London Marathon have got against me. I know I gave them a little bit of a hard time this time last year when we were talking about the London Marathon and maybe some of the, uh, I think we may have covered them in a get a grip. And whether they've heard that and decided that I'm blacklisted, I don't know, but 17 in a row, I am starting to take it a bit personally. But now the challenge is, rather than sitting there saying, can I get into the London Marathon? The challenge is, can I get 20 consecutive ballot rejections <laughs> i think at 20 i will give up and that will be the point when real realism takes over from optimism but i'm going for 20 consecutive rejections now well we've remember we've done a lot on uh, guinness book of records i think an application to them pretty soon on that w- would get you a big reward a world record <laughs> but a- anyway yes the were british championships taking place in Manchester, and there's plenty going on there. What have you got from there? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was really exciting times. So um, there were compete- people competing for times and slots to qualify for the World Championships in Budapest next month. So uh, Zanel Hughes did the 100-metre and 200-metre double in the men's sprints. In the women's uh, sprints, um, it went pretty much with form. Dina Asher-Smith won the 100 but uh, Daryl Nita won the 200 um, and uh, I think, you know, really good races there and both of them definitely looking in medal form for Budapest uh, next month. Keely Hodgkinson, who's, again, someone that I know we follow uh, mm. on this show and talk about a lot uh, because she is such a great both competitor and personality. She won the 800 metres. But another favourite of this show, Laura Muir, actually suffered a shock defeat in the 1500 metres, being beaten into second place by Katie Snowden. So, um, yeah, you know, there was was some great performances. I think the crowds there really got behind 
the athletes as well. But I think certainly looking at Zanel Hughes, Dina Asher Smith, and Daryl Nita, I think we've got some real uh, medal potential there in the sprints, which is somewhere that the GB teams have maybe been lacking. I know Dina Asher Smith over the last few years has, you know, maybe been injured or struggling going into championships. So fingers crossed and touching wood and everything that we can, waving my lucky rabbit's foot and my four-leaf clover that she can stay fit for Budapest because I think she'd be really in with a shout. But then talking about getting into events and races, um, friend of the show, Lee Spore, triathlete and uh, guy who cycled across America in the Ride Across America race, he was yes. talking and telling me that Challenge Roth, which is a long-distance triathlon, so an iron-distance triathlon, and it's a really popular one in Germany, it's sold out. It's 3,500 individual entries and 650 relay team entries for next year in under 40 seconds. I mean, that's madness. I mean, how are you type quick enough to fill out the application and for all... 3,500 individual, 650 relay team entries to be gone in less than 40 seconds. Um, that's half the time that the 2023 edition sold out in last year. This year's race sold out in 90 seconds. This year they've sold it out in 40 seconds. Staggering stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um, Tour de France I've got next. A uh, bit of a disaster for Cavendish, wasn't it? Yeah, Cav is out. So the Manx missile, who'd said that this would be his last Tour de France, crashed on Friday and suffered a broken collarbone. So he was chasing a record 35th stage win in the Tour. So currently he shares the record of 34 with the cannibal, Eddie Merckx. Um, he was desperately unlucky not to win stage seven, um, on Thursday after issues with his gears in the final sprint. Um, I actually had it happen on my bike, but going at a much slower speed where the rear derailleur keeps the chain jumping between the gear cogs. And so he had that, you know, he couldn't stand up, he couldn't sit down. He was getting nothing out of the pedaling. It just kept skipping. And yeah, you know, he was in a position to win the sprint and then got reeled back in and couldn't. So desperately unlucky there. And then to compound it, then to crash on Saturday and a broken collarbone that keeps him out of the, the Tour de France and potentially out of the World Road Championships um, next month, which uh, Great Britain have just named their team for. He is in the long list of named riders. So, uh, yeah, but really desperately unlucky. The Astana team have said that they will offer him the opportunity next year to race and to try and get the record if he wants to go back and race next year. So that is good news, but real shame for him this year. But then looking at other good news, the women's Giro d'Italia, the Giro d'Italia Donna, um, took place and Annemiek van Vluten uh, won, uh, rider from the Netherlands, and uh, she led stage uh, nine, and uh, won it by three minutes, 56 seconds from the French rider, uh, Juliette Labousse. So um, great uh, performance by her. 
in the Tour de France at the moment. We are into the uh, second week of three and a half. And Jonas Vingegaard is the leader in the Mile Jaune, um, ahead of Tadej Pogacar, the Brits, Adam Yates, his twin, Simon Yates, and Tom Pidcock are in fifth, sixth, and seventh place, respectively, um, mm. around five minutes down on the leaders. So they're still right in the mix. Um, so, but yeah, they're right up into the, they've been going through the Pyrenees uh, this week, and then it'll be on to the Alps next week. Okay. What do we got next? Contact. Simon Carlard um, invited me to join him for his birthday celebrations uh, near his home at weekend. Simon, you may well remember, non-voiders, uh, is suffering with multiple myeloma, an incurable blood cancer. Anyway, after one hell of a year of treatment, he's doing very well, I'm pleased to say. Lovely to see him surrounded by all the children, his son, his wife, and so many people who turned out on Saturday to celebrate it. And Simon did say to me, and I know he said it to other people, so it's not a, a private comment, he said, I obviously thought I was going to have a, a big 50th birthday party. He said, but now, after this last year, we're taking it step by step. We'll go year by year. And I think it's a very sensible approach when he's dealing. But he is doing very well indeed, and they're very pleased with him. So uh, I wanted to give you that update. And that was from Saturday evening. I went over there. Brilliant news. And yeah, really many happy returns to Simon. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Mike Dinsdale been in touch, and I think uh, it's a, this is part of the theme of picking us up on any errors that we make. We've got to be so careful these days. He said, minor error in your uh, reading out of my observations about Henley. Apparently, I said around 900 crews. I should have said 900 crew, i.e. the sum total of all uh, the men and women rowers plus the coxes. So, yeah, I mean, if you talk about crew and I talked about crews, that's team boats. There weren't 900 team boats. I stand corrected, Your Honour. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> Have you got something with me and Mum? Was she correcting us on something as well? Yeah, I mean, we, we got up on Sunday and she pulled out a note she's now taking notes during the show and uh went to pull me up on me having said that the ball was shined and not shone and i then had to correct her and say no you the ball is a cricket ball is shined the act of making the ball shine yeah in the past was that they shined the ball they didn't shone the ball in the same way that you shined your shoes. You didn't shone your shoes. So uh, we had had a conversation on that. And um, in the immortal words of Brian Clough, we talked about it and then we agreed that I was right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, it's, it's, as I said earlier, it's a theme now. We're being picked up on every uh, little detail. So Yeah, uh, they're, they're a picky lot, our listeners, aren't they? But it just shows the... Uh, the standards that we've set are obviously very high and they expect us to keep and maintain those standards. So yeah. they are going to be sadly disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll continue as before. But anyway, <laughs> um, 
I, I think it's fair to say on uh, Get a Grip this week, we're not really annoyed enough about anything. Well, maybe I'm, apart from me, uh, not having <clears throat> an Aussie guest to talk about cricket. Never mind. We'll get over it. I, I mean, the only one only one I've got is, um, and it's, it's not enough for a Get a Grip, but I was mortally shocked. We all know that this programme becomes not just a sports programme, but a... Uh, sporting culinary program and at Lords on Saturday night um, we'll put aside the very disappointing beige pie that Billy and I had where they were doing a five pounds uh, sorry ten pound for a pie and a pint deal so we had one of those each but they said the only pies we've got left in the halftime break between innings are vegetarian pies now I should have gone with my gut instinct and said I really don't want a vegetarian pie um, not for me thanks your honour um, you know, uh, meat is the right way to go. Um, but we, we took what we could get. It was, I would say, if it was a paint, it would be magnolia. Nothing wrong with it, but just nothing exciting about it. Um, so that was a little bit disappointing. But then as we walked around the corner, we weren't interested in ice cream. We were looking for a beer. But I walked past and I just did a double take because the price at Lord's that they were charging for a Mr. Whippy with a flake. Now, I know flakes are in short supply at the moment, um, that the chocolate companies are having trouble making them and getting the ingredients for them. Don't quite know what that's all about, but uh, there was an article out there that said that. But £4.50 for a Mr Whippy Cornet, and just a single one. I mean, that is daylight robbery. I mean, lords need to sort that out and have a word with themselves, especially at an event where they knew... The women's game does tend to attract more families. T20 right. also attracts more families. So they knew there were going to be a lot of youngsters there and they're charging £4.50 for a Mr Whippy ice cream with a flake for a 99. There's a reason they used to be called 99. It was over 99p. Daylight robbery. I know, I know cost of living crisis and everything's going up, but £4.50 for an ice cream is absolutely outrageous. So not only were they serving up beige, bland, vegetarian pies, but ripping people off. I mean, you know, the guy, I think he'd be justified. Instead of turning up in an ice cream van, turning up on Black Bess and saying his name is Dick Turpin, charging those sort of prices. But uh, so, yeah, so not a get a grip, but I was, should we say, rather ired and not impressed at how much Lords were trying to rip off families at the event when... We want to try and get more youngsters, more young lads and lasses watching the women's games. So we will keep you posted, dear listeners, as to what the fair and offering is at Southampton at the Aegeus on Sunday and how much they're charging for a Mr. Yeah, we, we, we might talk about the cricket as well, but, you know. <laughs> anyway. Priorities, uh, uh, dear chat. Priorities. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, next week, uh, our guest, I said earlier, Andy Wilde, our golf professional, who will give you a detailed insight into the British Open, which will have the golf which will have just got underway uh, in Liverpool on Sunday. So I look forward to that. Yeah, enjoyed it tonight. Plenty of detail. And look out for uh, us next week. Be there or be square, as they say. We enjoy your company. We like your comments. And we'll have that special guest with us next week. Lovely being with you. See you at a similar place and a time next week to suit you. 
See you later. Bye. Cheerio, folks. Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan. Together, they don't add up to much. If you have a sports story, you can contact the team on nandv at forthenow.co.uk. 